Welcome to the Spirit Seeker Hour. Spirit Seeker Hour is your chance to delve into the world of your inner spirit. The Spirit Seeker Hour is brought to you by Spirit Seeker Magazine. Go to www.spiritseeker.com to find out more. And now, here's Cindy Meyer. Hello and welcome, and this is Cindy Meyer, and this uh weekly radio show is brought to you by Spirit Seeker Magazine. We are about to celebrate our 15th year in print, um, which is just really astonishing. You know, 15 years ago, I was very pregnant with uh, my now 14-year-old son, who, um, and I was in Sedona, Arizona, meditating on Bell Rock, and uh, it was really kind of a crazy time in my life. Uh, A lot of changes, 42 years old, you know, thinking, you know, what in the world, you know, am I doing uh, being pregnant at this age? And later I found out, actually, that my grandmother had her last child at age 42. But here I was, you know, totally thrown to the wind with my life, you know, in a little bit of shock. And while meditating on Bell Rock, I heard, start the magazine and have it in place before the child is born. And I said, excuse me, more information, please, what? Total silence. So, as I know, Spirit talks to us in funny ways, and I had had a quarterly newsletter that I published, and I had 2,000 readers at that point, and I I never, you know, I wouldn't say never, the few times that I've not listened to Spirit, I've, I've learned that that's probably not the wisest choice and the, the highest thought. So I listened, and Spirit Seeker was uh, started in September of 1997 at a time when, um, you know, I'd worked in, in publishing with women's papers. I'd been a nurse for many years. I, you know, was working on my MBA when I started on the whole started on the holistic path. So here we are. We are 15 years later, still publishing strong. We have a print magazine in St. Louis, Kansas City, and most recently we've added Chicago as our sister city, and we've been there for 15 months. And in each issue of Spirit Seeker is a unique. Uh, unique honoring of the different people who are doing this work on the front lines. And my guest that I'm about to bring on tonight, there's a wonderful article entitled Three Keys to Navigating Life's uh, Storms. And this is in the August issue of Spirit Seeker, which you can read at spiritseeker.com. The uh, radio show I've been hosting for a little over two years in this format on Blog Talk Radio. And I must uh, say that initially I was a little resistant to Internet radio, but what I can tell you is the last, uh, one of my most recent shows had over 2,200 listens. People listen to it as their spiritual nourishment and food because the archive shows are there for your pleasure at any time that you want any kind of an inspirational lift. All you have to do is go to spiritseeker.com, click on the blog talk icon in the left-hand corner, and it will take you to my blog talk page. And every interview that I've done for the last two years is archived. So with that being said, you know, please take the time. The magazine's there. The interviews are there. You know, there's just a lot of information there. And uh, you can forward, you know, you can help support the show in several ways. You can favorite the show on Blog Talk Radio. You can send an email to info at spiritseeker.com and we'll add you to our sacrosanct email list. We send out an email letting all of our uh, supporters know about the different interviews. You can uh, support us on Facebook. We have a Cindy Meyer page. We have a Spirit Seeker page, all kinds of stuff. So that being said, enough announcements. Now, it is my immense pleasure to bring on the following guest, Dr. Terry Gordon. 
The name of his book is No Storm Lasts Forever, Transforming Suffering into Insight. This man is brilliant. He has been on the front lines of helping people from the time he was very young. He started out with a a background in psychology. He then went on to become a physician specializing as a cardiologist. He... um, he has been named the American Heart Association's National Physician of the Year in 2002. He has uh, single-handedly, and I do—I know it's not single-handedly, but it felt that way when I felt this. He—he um, he heard the call when Josh Miller, the football player, died because there was there were no, um, you know, paddles there to resuscitate his heart, which are called AEDs, the Automated External Defibrillators. He is. Um, spearheading a national campaign called the Josh Miller Hearts Act. I could go on and on and on. I spent the day with this book. I, I knew when I read the article, um, you know, in the August issue of Spirit Seeker that, you know, this was not an ordinary book, and I wanted to read it when I could be fully present, and today was the day, because guess what? Tonight was the interview. So, Dr. Gordon, welcome to the Cindy Meyer Radio Show. Thank you, Cindy. It's great being here, and I would appreciate if you'd call me Terry. Okay. We, you you have it. So, Terry, you know, I know that you've had these mentors that have showed up along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, you have this relationship with Dr. Wayne Dyer and, you know, uh, Kenny Loggins, on and on. But before we get to the different people who have shown up, I just really want to share with the listeners that this is not an ordinary book. This is a journal. And, Terry, from what I understand, you are not really the journaling type, shall we say. I- I wasn't. I never had kept a diary. Um, What happened, Cindy, uh, in 2009, uh, actually our family was about to embark on a a cruise with Wayne Dyer's family, the first time we were all going to get together. And two weeks before we were to leave on the cruise, um, my daughter, Maddie Rose, had just come in from Chicago where she was teaching. And, you know, it's it's a parent's sixth sense when you can just feel there's just something not quite right with one of your children. And, and Maddie Rose came into the up into my office, and it, it, the sadness was just dripping from her. I could just tell she was really in turmoil. And I, I kind of opened up the conversation by saying, what's up, sweetie? And she came around my desk and plopped down at my feet and put her arms up on my knees. And she said, you know, Dada, she, now she's 27, still calls me Dada. <laughs> she says, you know, Dada. I always thought that the older I got and the more control I assumed over my life, the easier life would become. And then with this deep sigh and a single tear trickling down her cheek, she said, you know, it's just not working that way. It just seems like my life is getting tougher and tougher. So I pulled her up into my arms, and I'm rocking her as I have for 27-some-odd years. And I paused for a very long time because I, I knew what I was about to say to her would be very important. And I shared with her, I said, you know, darling, I don't think that that's the way it's supposed to be. I I think in order for us to grow, in order for us to spiritually mature during this thing we call our lifetime, we must face greater and greater obstacles because it's only by overcoming these obstacles, these things in our way, that we grow. And, And I quoted from the Kabbalah, which is the ancient mystical text of Judaism, that says... The falls of our life provide us the energy to propel us onto a higher path. It's the falls of our life. And I ended the conversation with her by saying, you know, sweetie, we really should be thankful for the crap that comes our way. And I kissed her on the forehead and kind of left it at that. At 
6.40 the next morning, I received one of the worst phone calls a parent could get. And the grave voice on the other end of the line informed me that our son Tyler, who was um, at Fort Lewis College in Durango, Colorado, had been involved in a near-fatal car accident, and he had shattered his neck. And then came the dreaded words, we believe your son is quadriplegic. Well, you worry about those things. You know, as a parent, you're, you're, you stay up late when the kids aren't home on time, and you worry and fret over that. But when the words come, when you finally hear those words, you can't imagine the impact. Well, I had about 20 seconds worth of denial. And then the doctor and me kicked in, so I knew exactly what was going to happen. They were getting ready to life flight him from Durango to Denver, Colorado, where he would undergo emergent uh, neurosurgery to stabilize his neck. And within an hour, I had packed a bag and bolted from the house, speeding up to the Cleveland airport, trying to get on an overbooked flight. And it was on the way up there, Cindy, that um, it hit me that I had left my wife wailing. Now, my wife, I think I've seen her cry twice in our married life of 33 years. I, I cry at the drop of a hat, but she's a very strong woman, and she was wailing. And I, I suddenly realized that I had left her wailing and didn't stop to console her, but I had to get to Denver. And, and she understood it, but I, I just felt so terribly. But I got to the airport, and somehow I was fifth or sixth in line. Somehow I got a seat on this airplane, and I was in a window seat, and I was like a caged cat because now I'm incommunicado. I didn't know if Tyler was alive, dead, right. brain damage, bleeding. I had no idea, you know, if the helicopter had arrived safely, gotten to Denver safely. And it was just terrible. My The thoughts were banging around in my head, and there was so much chaos in my mind. It was It was frightening. And I felt like I was in this tornado. And it was loud, and it was whooshing, and it was wet. And I looked down the funnel, and it was just black. It was just darkness, and it was so frightening. And and I remember, Cindy, praying harder than I've ever prayed in my life. And and I wasn't praying for me. I was praying so that I would have the energy to help my son and be able to help my wife and my daughters and the rest of my family. And, and gradually, as I was praying, I, I found myself saying, I can't do this. I can't do this can't do this. And, and I can't tell you I heard the voice of God, but the words were crystal clear when God said, yes, you can. And I said, no, I can't do this. And he assured me again that I could. And I said, but but, but how? And he said, well, just yesterday, you shared your truth with Maddie Rose, your daughter. You You can talk the talk, but now you're going to have to live it. And I said again, but I can't do it. And he said, remember... Everything is in perfect order, even this. And then the most profound thing came to me when God said, treat this as if it was something you had chosen. Now, why would I do that? Why would I choose a tragedy such as this? What what possible good could come from such a life-altering calamity? What what lessons could possibly be hidden in this turmoil? And, and why were we as a family being asked to endure this negative experience. And these were questions that would scroll through my mind for a while. But but what happened is that I was given a choice. And you know, my dear friend Wayne Dyer often says, when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. And in a nanosecond, everything changed. I, I had a choice between going down the same chaotic path that I'd been on before or 
I had a choice of a path of peace. Now, I didn't know it was going to be peaceful, but I had this choice to make in a nanosecond, and in a nanosecond, I accepted the gift. Any obstacles that we are given are gifts from the divine because it's only by overcoming them that we get stronger. And and as I navigated the storm, the, the, the challenge for me was adjusting my perception of these events enough to recognize the presence of God within the experience. And in order to do that, I had to look beyond what my mind wanted to judge as good or bad. And as soon as I made that decision, this I was enveloped in this cocoon of white noise, this place of unfathomable peace that somehow let me know that everything was going to be okay, that I'd be able to do this and I'd be able to, to lead my family through the storm. Well, and you know, when you described arriving at the at the hospital, sweet um well, he was he already. It doesn't even matter. This is like not even important. But when you met his doctor, you know, before he walked into the room, you were hit with that HIPAA thing. You know, the, you know, these the, where your son didn't want to bother you. He didn't want to bother his parents. Well, that that actually happened in Durango. Before um, he was even he, transferred. Before he was transferred, yes, he told the doctors not to bother. <sighs> they were getting ready to life flight him to Denver, but don't bother my parents. And guess what? They didn't. I know. And I know. When I read that, I just went, and you are a physician, and you know about these, you know, these rules. And I, and you know how, it, I mean, I was married to a doctor. I worked in that arena for a long time as a nurse. And I know there's always professional courtesy between doctors, but with these new rules, things are different. So it's terrible. It's terrible. I, it really I know it is. And so the cop and called then, me. Oh. The police officer called me and said, you know, I'm oh. not supposed to do this, but... Oh, I didn't I'm, know that. I, I'm a father. And I, I knew you. I would know you would want to to know about this. And then I asked to talk to the doctors. They wouldn't talk to me. Right. Well, that he was an angel. He was one of the angels. He was. And he understood. He but you know. But then you know the doctor that took you and looked at the MRI and it was just like everything clicked, clicked, clicked once. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and and this doctor eight was it eight hours of surgery? It was. They had to operate first from the front side of his neck to stabilize that part, and then from the back. It was it was a terrible injury, and he shared that with me when and when he asked me if I wanted to see the MRI. Of course, the father in me said I didn't want to. The doctor in me had to. And one of the things that happened on the airplane on the flight to Denver is we were enveloped in this in gray clouds, and I was looking out at the clouds, and I started seeing all these black speckles. And I thought it was just an optical illusion from staring at, you know, grayness. And, and, but the, the black speckles started to increase in frequency, and they started to agglutinate. They started to kind of come together. And after a while, you know, I kept blinking my eyes and squeezing my eyes and forgot about it or, or they went away. When I knelt down on the floor next to uh, Dr. Ibrahim, who was a superb surgeon, very caring man. Phenomenal. Um, he was showing me the MRI, and the the spinal cord normally is white, and at the site of his injury, there were these black speckles that looked exactly like what I saw on the airplane. Oh, it was it was scary. It was really frightening, but it was exactly what I saw, not knowing that's what it was, but same speckly sort of appearance. Well, and you know this child of yours. 
came in under pretty um, intense circumstances. You know, I'm a, I, I, you know, I, I don't know if you've ever heard of the philosophy rebirthing, but we study birth and mm-hmm. psychological, uh, the way it plays out. They've done studies. And cord around the neck, children, which your son was double cord around the neck, Mr. Tyler, um, you know, and the pregnancy was so traumatic. And your wife listening and saying, you know, as the doctors were, you know, listeners, what happened here? And Terry, if I don't have this right, to step in. Okay. Um, while um, Tyler's mother was carrying him, there was a, a procedure done, amniotic, uh, an amniocentesis, and the needle somehow, which is one of the things that can happen when you do this procedure, the amniotic fluid leaked, and in, and there was like grave danger to the child. And you know, of course, medical advice, you know, was suggested that possibly this is not going to be a healthy child, etc. And your wife. Somehow, you know, well, not somehow. She's listened to angels her whole life. She's very mm-hmm. close to God. She's a very strong, sturdy person. I read this and I went, oh, my God. And, and you know, so the child, the amniotic fluid filled back up. So this child already was like, woo, this is a little, you know, the whole thing. Nice. And they've done studies with quarter around the neck children. And they, because they were so close to death when they came in, and I hope this is okay that, you know, if you want me to go a different direction. No, but, but, no. but this, when I was reading the book, I thought, oh, my God, double cord around the neck. I've never known a double cord around the neck. I mean, I've known cord around the neck. They're risk takers. So when you were describing your um, time at camp in Kentucky where, you know, you had to make it across this uh why don't you describe that? Because when when and then here's your son, this rock, climb, rock climber, and after the accident happens, you see this person on this cliff. I mean, would you describe this? Because I all I can think of is typical cord around the neck risk taker. Yeah. Well, well, first of all, he didn't have or Angela didn't have a leak. She had a gush. It was oh gosh, okay. A riptide. The, the amniotic fluid. She looked like she was carrying octuplets. Not that she was fat, but she had lots of fluid in there. And right. in five minutes, it went from way out there to nothing. So, um, and, and the doctors, you're right, suggested that that we abort the baby. And and I usually got my way when it came to medical things. But Angela was so insistent. She said, "You know, I feel this baby fighting." I can't give up. And I said, well, honey, you know, we can handle it. I just, you know, want you to know that there may be problems. And, and gradually the fluid started coming back. And then when he was delivered two true knots, the umbilical cord was wrapped around his neck. And usually that gets pulled and tightened around the neck as the baby's being delivered. Ty has always been um, a thrill seeker. You know, he's he loves speed. He loves rock climbing. You know, he loves motorcycles and you know, he just always has done these things, and, and especially the rock climbing. I, I just always cringed because I just I, – I never was a risk taker like that. I was always kind of, you know, mealy-mouthed and a little afraid. And, and we were at camp. It was called Camp Country Boy. Uh, Tom Boone, who was a direct descendant of Daniel Boone. So it's a really neat, very rustic camp. And there was this club that we could join if we would climb this tree about 20 feet high, and there was – a log that had been placed horizontally between two trees with two ropes tied up about three uh, feet above the log. And you had to walk on this log on holding on to these ropes, all of which was very unstable. And, and I got about halfway across, and I didn't know whether I could go either way. I didn't think I was going to make it to either side, and it was frightening. 
and then you know when, when Tyler had his accident, we were out in 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 Denver, and one day I just looked up in the mountains, and they were just beckoning me to come. And I just started driving until I got to the foothills, and I went up into the mountains a little bit, and I stopped at this rest spot, and I saw something moving, and it turned out to be a rock climber. And I had never allowed myself to even look at movies or shows about rock climbers because I knew Tyler did it. My daughter, Britt, does it. And it just scared me to death. But I watched this guy. And he just, you know, every movement, every motion was, was planned and and scheduled. And then he would kind of lock himself into the 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 face of the of the boulder. And he would become one with this with this boulder. And and it was a, it was a beautiful experience, and, and I suddenly realized why Tyler was enthralled with that, and why it excited him so much. Right. But um, yeah, so that was the experience with the rock climbing. Well, but see, that wasn't an accident, you know. I when I read that particular chapter of the book, I was like, oh my god, it was like the Zen moment where mm-hmm. you got to see inside your son's spirit, you know, with. Mm-hmm. You know, with this adventure seeking and, you know, how methodical and how, I mean, the whole thing. And, like, all of a sudden you were, you know, when you were describing I thought, oh, my gosh, he was inside Tyler's body climbing that that side of that mountain. Just, like, I don't know. It's just, you know, interesting how that all just lined up. And, um, and I love how you quote... Um, Okay, uh, the, I'm just going to read it. It says, unlike his old man, Tyler has always been fearless. Kalal Gabron's wisdom rings true to me when he says, your children are not your children. They come through you, but not from you. Mm-hmm. And you talk about how he's a daredevil. And, and you know, I, it's just this book, listeners, by the way, Wayne Dyer says that, you know, it doesn't matter. He just reads a chapter and it brings it just brings this, you know, right to his heart. And... Um, the, the preface is by, you know, the introduction is by, um, you know, Dr. Wayne Dyer, and it's just, it's just beautiful. He, he says, I, I thank you, Terry, for reminding me so, so splendidly that, in, that an enlightened life is not about avoiding the rainstorms, but learning how to find peace and divine love in the midst of the storm. This is really a book about alchemy. It is not about waiting for the storm to pass. Instead, it is about converting the storm to inner peace and spiritual awakening, which is what you were doing with your daughter Maddie the night before this storm mm-hmm. arrived. Mm-hmm. Isn't that a coincidence, you know? It's <laughs> all, you know, it, it all, you know, is divine. We know it. <laughs> it. It was. It was. You know, as was, you made the comment a little bit ago, you know, that, that things just don't just happen. You know, life has a way of preparing you. And, and Wayne Dyer, God love him has been so instrumental in that from from the moment I first met him. Um, I had a a patient that um, I walked into his room for the very first time, and this guy looked at me and said, Whoa, Dr. Gordon, you're killing yourself. And I said, What? He said, You're killing yourself. I can see this marvelous energy around you, but it's all fractured. You really need to do something about this. And he, he said, You need to learn how to meditate, and you really need to read a couple of books by Wayne Dyer. And I did. I, I embraced after about the third visit to the hospital. I didn't listen to him the first couple of times, and so I bought um, Real Magic and Inspiration. And I tried to call Wayne because it 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 it, it impacted my life so marvelously that I, I tried to call him, and his secretary answered the phone. 
And I said, this is Dr. Gordon. I'd like to speak with Dr. Dyer, please. Well, she couldn't care less, you know, big group. So I never got to talk to him. So um, about 10 years ago, um, I took uh, Angela and my family, um, the girls and, and Tyler, out to Hawaii. And right before we left, my wife developed shingles. And it was a terrible case. And she was so sick the whole time we were out there and couldn't could barely get out of bed. And one morning I, I was feeling kind of down and I went out and tried to meditate and couldn't and went running on the beach. And on the way back, came back kind of kicking the sand, feeling sorry for myself. And guess who I bumped into on the beach? <laughs> I bet it was early in the morning, wasn't it? It was. It yeah, was. because he's, he swims that, you know, he swims that mile swim, or I don't know if it's a mile, but he does that whole little trek every mm-hmm. morning. He does his yoga every day, so I, I knew when you were describing the yoga studio where you now, you know, have the heart defibrillator, I was like, uh-huh. uh, I, I mean, I, re- you know, he had back pain forever, and then all of a sudden someone said, you should try yoga. The man does yoga every single morning. He does, he does. When the yoga but- teacher became ill, he funded it. <laughs> I mean, Wayne Dyer funds so many people. You know, when you talked about Lao Tzu so much in your book, I was like, oh, my gosh, I wonder if the two of you talked about Lao Tzu. Because, you know, he spent, you know, each day with one of Lao Tzu's teachings when he wrote, I forget which book it is. You know, in, Change in, Your Thoughts, Change Your Life. Yes, yes, the yes, yes. The most it, marvelous yes. book I've ever read yes. in my life. You know, and when you shared Lao Tzu, I thought, I wonder what the two of them talked about during that little, you know, but but I could see the two of you just like, you know, it was time. That was well, the right Well, we clicked. Time. We clicked. Yeah. And I'll tell you the truth. I didn't know he lived out there. I thought he was oh, on vacation. Funny. So when I went up to him, I said, you know, man, I know you're on vacation, and I don't want to bother you. But I just have to thank you for saving my life. And he said, Really? Tell me about it. So for 20 minutes, he's locked into this little Terry Gordon, you know? And so I went back. Angela was still in bed, and I went back, and I extended my hand. I said, sweetie, you might want to touch his hand. And she said, ooh, why? I said, "It it just shook the hand of Dr. Wayne Dyer. Well, this miraculous recovery occurs. She's putting on makeup, and she's dragging me down the beach trying to find Wayne, as she calls him. And we finally bumped into him three days later, and it's history after that. But he's, he's changed my life. Well, and he his whole start when I interviewed him, you know, back in 2006, his whole start came about by Bob Hyland in St. Louis, who had one of his, you know, uh, people on his show was uh, going to be out of town. So he invited Wayne Dyer to fill in for him, and that is when he wrote, you know, his erroneous songs, and that when he went on the air in St. Louis is when it hit the airwaves, and that is when his book that he'd been, you know, selling from the trunk of his car and, you know, uh-huh. et cetera, all these kids and everything, you know, trying to support him and trying to do his best, that's when the book hit, like, you know, the top bestseller charts. And so that is why he has been so generous with PBS in St. Louis, the public broadcasting, um, you know, station. He has donated countless, count, I don't know how many hours over the years because he credits Bob Hyland with launching him. Well, he is just you know, such he's a, a he's a he's an amazing man. man. And you know, one time, you know, I mean, we could go on and on and on, but you know, Wayne Dyer, you know, um of course has been a Hay House author for a long time and he had never taught a seminar in um in Hawaii, in Maui, because he thought people wouldn't come. So there's even more to the story. Okay, go back to two thousand six before I um we're gonna okay. We're gonna go down a little journey for a moment in Cindy Meyer's life, but then we'll segue back to Wayne Dyer. What happened in 2006 is um, I was going really fast. I was teaching. I had 
students out the Yazoo, I, you know, I was doing the paper, and I won this drawing from Hay House Publishing for this trip. It was a cruise um, with Sylvia Brown and Colette Baron reed I think is the person who was with her, and I won this trip. But I was going so fast that I, and I knew I was going to win. You know how you just know? So I, 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 I knew that the trip was going to be during the spring break of my daughter, and um, and I said, listen, Katie, I said, um, I just need you to know that, you know, I will be away during your spring break, you know, if I win this trip, et cetera. And she goes, oh, my gosh, you are so ridiculous. You act like you've already won it. I said, what? I really see myself on this cruise, et cetera. And she's like, oh, whatever. You know, she kind of poo-pooed me. But I knew it. And so I, I talked to the people at Hay House, and I said, what exactly is the drawing for this? What time? Are, and, and are you going to email someone, or are you going to call them? And she says, no, we're going to email in the drawings in the afternoon. Just, you know, watch your emails that afternoon. So I knew. I just knew I was going to win this. So there it is. Cindy Meyer, Spirit Seeker Magazine, won the trip. <laughs> okay, so I was going so fast teaching. I had 30 students on Friday night. I taught all day Saturday and Sunday. And Saturday night I worked a private party as a psychic. I'm also very clairvoyant because I wanted extra money to spend on my cruise, right? So here I was, you know, single parent, all this stuff. On Sunday night, I thought I was in bed. I'd made it through the whole weekend before I was leaving for the cruise on Friday, had to finish the magazine, but I thought, I've never registered for my classes. I need to, like, tell them what classes I'm taking. So I came back downstairs, three-level home, came back downstairs, had the crew, the, the, the papers printed out and everything, had them in my hand, and I thought, you know what? I've been inside all weekend long. It's 80 degrees. It was in March 2006, very obscure 80-degree weather. I thought, I'm just going to go out on the front porch and connect with this beautiful weekend before I go figure out what classes. I'm going to meditate on this and just get quiet. So I have the cruise papers, you know, or not cruise, but the Hay House papers in my hand. I'm walking out the front door, and my daughter says, where are you going? I said, I'm just going out to get some fresh air. I'll be right back. And as I turned around to talk to her, I'm walking out, pulling the door with me. I missed the step, fall, get caught on that uh, rocking chair, and I'm like, uh oh, I I snapped my ankle, fractured it, totally severed it. It was like, you know, and I opened the door and I said, you know what, I think I need some help. And of course, my kids were like, oh, you're so dramatic. And I'm like, no, I don't think so this time. And so I, my my foot was hanging. So ten screws and um, a plate later, everything's put back together again. But I was in a wheelchair in 2006 for like I don't know, ten or twelve weeks. When I was first starting to walk again, I thought my daughter needed something or rather a doctor's appointment. And she says, if you're not going to take me, Dad said he'll do it. And I said, no, no, no. And it was a female thing. And I said, I'll do it. And then I thought, when's the last time I went? I thought, you know, I think I missed last year. And I thought, when's the last time I did a breast exam? I'm like, it was before I was in this wheelchair. So I did the breast exam, and that's when I found the, the breast cancer. I would never have found it if it had it been for the fall. But the fall stopped me from going going on that cruise. I'm almost finished with the story, and this back to Jerry Gordon. But everything lined up. You know, it's like in the minute I knew that this happened, I knew the cruise was gone, so I paid it forward, gifted gifted it to my editor, actually, and my graphic artist. Okay, so now here we go. We're now into 2009. I've gone, or 2008 actually. I've gone through the chemo, gone through the mastectomy, gone through all the stuff. There's another Hay House trip, Wayne Dyer and Maui. And I thought, wow, okay, I know I'm going to win this. Kid you not. 
I want no, all expenses no. paid for two airfare to Maui. So here we go. I am staying in, you know, the Gold Mile right there in Maui, you know, at, at this amazing hotel with Wayne Dyer. Over 500 people show up. And, of course, he helps Ram Das, so Ram Das shows up. So let's just, you know, and so here's Wayne Dyer. He reconciled with one of his children, you know, that he hadn't had a relationship with. He is, like, so, like, you know, from the heart, he, he you know, his former wife he had reconciled with, you know. I mean, it's just on and on. So when you describe that in your book, I know I digressed and went all over the place, but I know you understand what we're talking about here. These things happen. These storms happen. There's always a reason. You know, and it wasn't an accident that the universe said, okay, Cindy Meyer, you missed that one, and you surrendered so gracefully, and you did the changes that you obviously needed to make, and then here I was, another trip, another, and fully present. And that's one of the things that your book talks about is, it's already gone. All that's gone. How can you be in this moment present with it? And you mm-hmm. helped your son with that. Mm-hmm. And and the rest of the family too. It's uh, you know there's there's some that actually believe that we choose what we are to experience in a particular lifetime. Cancer being one of those choices. Um, interestingly, in the midst after we got back from Colorado uh, in October of '09, my um, about four or five months later, my PSA started rising. And my father died of prostate cancer, so I've been very vigilant. And I really didn't think that I had it, but I went to the urologist anyway, and he said, eh, you know, we can. We don't know what the PSA means anyway. Let's wait for another year. And I said, you know, I think I want uh, a biopsy. And my PSA, mind you, was still normal. It just was rising. And I remember where I was when he called me and said, Terry, I don't believe this. It came back positive. And, and I'll tell you the way I felt, Cindy. I felt like a little boy caught with his hand in the cookie jar. And the reason I say that is because I had had allowed intermittently the stress of our circumstance to take over. And I, I really strongly feel that that negative energy that I allowed myself to immerse myself in was what ultimately brought out that cancer. And I remember just kind of looking up in the sky thinking, okay, God, obviously you think I can do this. So let's go for it. And and I went through the robotic surgery and, you know, in the midst of, uh, you know, and Angela and I were the only ones taking care of Tyler. So it was very difficult on her, obviously. And right. But it, it's one of those things that, again, I just looked at it as a gift. And the gift for me right then was, okay, Terry, look what you've done and let happen to you. Yeah. That that physical affliction came from the stress that you have allowed to take over your, your life. So it, it became a gift also to me. It's the way it works. Something, mm-hmm. you know, if we, if we um, when we need a wake-up call, I mean, you know, and that's what people said, like how, you know, most recently I, I you know, bef- okay, it was in January, and I kept think going back to the breast cancer and, and the fractured ankle. And I'm like, why am I going back to this? It's been six years. I've had five anniversaries and I've been, you know, home free. What is going on? And I was at my medical doctor's that day and I said, I haven't slept in three nights. I said, I don't know what's going on. I said, but I keep going back to this fall that I had. And then if it weren't for the fall, I wouldn't have found the tumor. If I hadn't found the tumor, I wouldn't be here to talk about it because I had this obscure triple negative breast cancer that rarely, they don't know a lot about it. It's the most aggressive of all the breast cancers. Um, 
and not a lot of research has been put into it. But, you know, even that, I mean, this is another story for another time, but, you know, even that, you know, was it, I knew I needed to make some changes. Whenever you have something like that happen, you have to really, like, okay, be present front and center. What do I need to change in my life? And cancer is basically... You know, when you, when you, you know, and look at Louise Hay. I mean, she would never have, like, been helping all of us. She had written Heal Your Body, and then she was diagnosed with the cancer. And, you know, and she had to, like, and an obscure kind of cancer, you know, but she had to look at what part of the body got it, you know, and, like, what was going on. And, you know, and that's what led her. You know, she wrote that book, and she thought, do I really believe that you can heal your body through changing your thoughts and your mind? And I interviewed her one time, too, and it was just like, you know, you just hear these words of wisdom. So, Okay, so here I am at the doctor, and she says, well, you know, you need to sleep. I said, I understand that. She said, are you under any more stress than usual? I'm like, no, nothing, you know, more than usual. And she says, well, you know, whatever. So that night, I thought, okay, I'm going to trick my little body. I just, you know, will read downstairs instead of upstairs, and then I'll be so tired when I go to bed. You know, not a big deal. I'll I'll be ready for sleep. Oh, no, 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 no. I fell asleep. Hailstorm comes. And I had a client in the driveway when I came home. I work out of my home, and I, I, I thought, oh, my gosh, my car's not in the garage. So I go running to the front door, hit a throw rug that I had looked at the day before, oh. and thought, that shouldn't be here. became a magic carpet ride, and the next thing you know, fractured knee, fractured ankle. You but, know, I'm, from, I'm from Kentucky. You know what we do to horses? <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to I know. I sure. heard you. <laughs> Well, guess what? It's a wake-up call again. So when I read your book, it was like, oh, my God, Cindy Meyer, this man understands. It's not avoiding the storms. And that's the beautiful part that you shared so eloquently, you know, to your daughter, to your son, and your own understanding. One, you know, it's not avoiding the storms. It's how do you deal with what happens. And, I, and embracing oh, it, accepting it. That, that's right. the key. You, you have a choice. You either resist the gift and you suffer. Or you accept the gift and exalt in it. And that that was the lesson for me. So on your website, okay, first of all, listeners, if you're just tagging in, we are listening to Dr. Terry Gordon. His uh, book is No Storm Lasts Forever, Transforming Suffering into Insight. This is one of the most beautiful books on uh, just here it is. What are you going to do with it? It's a journal that he wrote. As he was going through this whole situation, you know, with his with his son, it starts off with, you know, talking about this uh, event, you know, when his daughter came and was all upset, and he's comforting her, and then the very next moment it was, you know, the universe said, okay, here we go again. And so this book, everyone, I, it, you know, buy it, buy several copies, give it as gifts. But I also want to mention the website. The website has all of these amazing articles that Dr. Terry Gordon, which, you know, I'm calling him Terry, but Dr. Terry Gordon, a gifted cardiologist who's now retired but doing so much other work on the front lines. He's written all of these articles, The Wounded Healer, The Body is Only a Temporary Vehicle, uh, you know, the message of no storm lasts forever, how to overcome feelings of being overwhelmed, on and on. He continues to give gifts. Those are all free articles on a site. Uh, and, you know, as I said, it's Dr. Terry Gordon, and that's D-R-T-E-R-R-Y-G-O-R-D-O-N.com. This is a Hay House book. Thank you, Louise Hay. Thank you for Wayne Dyer for encouraging you to write this book. But most of all, I just really love how you brought in the Kabbalah teachings, how you, you know, give such honor to your wife, such honor to your children. And 
everything that happened through all of this, you know, and in the titles of your chapters, you know, <laughs> and we have to talk about Kenny Loggins before we forget. You know, there's just like, I, I want this interview to go on forever. I mean, there's just so much in this book. So, you know, you, you talk about Viktor Frankl. You know, do you want to talk about, you know, that awareness with that part, you know? I, well, well, you know, the, the Kenny Loggins connection. Um, okay, let's go you, there when, next. Okay. When you read the book, there there was a song that he sang years ago. It appeared on his uh, Back to Pooh Corner album. A beautiful album, and, and it's one that I listen to whenever I get in turmoil. It always calms me down. But there are songs that he sang to his children. And there was one in there called Cody's Song. And the words just resonated with me, and they really were in the back of my mind the entire time I was writing this book. And I included them in the one of the first chapters and uh, one of the last chapters. I hadn't gotten around to asking if I could use the lyrics, but this is, you know, I was in the writing phase. And I was in Lake Charles, Louisiana, visiting my mother, and, and I had to take her car away from her. So it was not a very pleasant time with my mother. And as I got ready to leave, you know, something happened, and there was this turmoil, and I leaned over to kiss her. And now she didn't mean this, but she said, I don't love you. I never want to see you again. So I left a little unsettled. So I'm at the airport in Lake Charles. It's this little podunk airport that you don't go through security until you get ready to board the plane. I got there to find that our plane had been canceled, our flight had been canceled. And I'm not going back to mom's apartment, mind you. So I'm going to stay in this this, this airport until we get another flight. Well, two or three hours later, they found us another airplane. And we're going through security. And this guy behind me says, hey, man, I hope this doesn't mess up our connections in Houston. And I turned around to say, well, you know, maybe they're delayed in Houston. And I looked at this guy and I said, man, you look an awful lot like Kenny Loggins. And he goes, hi, I'm Kenny Loggins. <laughs> now, you know, that doesn't just happen. You know, if, if I could be anybody else in the world, it would be Kenny Loggins. That's how much I love his music and him. And, you know, we started talking and I told him about the book and, and he wrote an endorsement for the book. So, you know, those sorts of, of things are an affirmation from the universe. Okay, but wait a minute. Is... We have to talk about Tyler and this the song and mm-hmm. how, you know, you would you were singing and he says, "Dad, Dad, come on, I want to hear the music." <laughs> well, you know, I, I like to sing, and <laughs> and there would be some people that say this guy can't sing, but but I enjoy singing. And, and at night when I would put him to bed with this, I would sing sing the song to him. And at one point he said, "Dad." You're running the magic. <laughs> and what did this father named Terry Gordon do when his son was in this hospital bed? Figuring I sang out. The song. I sang yeah, the song you did. I did. I, you know, he was he was so still, and, and it was so sad, and that was just what came to mind. I walked in one morning, and I put my hand on his hand, and he was asleep, and I just sang him the song once again. So these are moments in time that, you know, music, music opens the heart. You know, it's, mm-hmm. you know, when when Wayne Dyer in his little introduction to your book, you know, was talking about it's not an accident that Dr. Terry Gordon is a cardiologist working with the heart chakra of all of these people. And, of course, he'd been through his heart attack. He knew how scary it could be. Mm-hmm. Here, the two of you connect on this beach. He encourages you to write this book. Mm-hmm. It was marvelous, you know. He, he encouraged me to to do the journal. He, you know, he called right. every other day when we were in uh, in Denver when we got Tyler into rehab, and 
God love him. He's just is, is such a marvelous human being. And like I said before, he's, he's changed my life and altered my life and prepared me for what I was about to um, experience. Okay, now is it Mike Petra? Do I have Petra? I, the Mike other Petrus. person? Petrus. Yes, Petrus. Okay. Yeah. Would you like to talk about this gentleman? I mean, what an inspiration. Well, you know, Mike was a patient of mine, a heart patient of mine, and, um, you know, when I retired, it was very sad leaving my patients, and, and especially those that I felt so close with, and Mike and I always had this very close relationship. And there was a time early on when, um, you know, the doctors, of course, are saying, you know, there's no hope here, he's never going to walk again, he's going to be quadriplegic the rest of his life. And I believe in miracles. You know, from A Course in Miracles, um, it says... Miracles abound all the time. It's when they don't happen that something is wrong. So, you know, I believe that miracles can occur. And I was thinking about that. I was flying home um, uh, on one of the trips that I had to come home, and I was thinking about miracles. And my cell phone rang, and it was Mike Petrus. And he said, uh, he left a message, actually, and he said, if this is the Dr. Terry Gordon cardiologist, please give me a call. It's your friend, Mike Petrus. And I had been thinking about him earlier that day because Mike had stage four pancreatic cancer. And most of us know people don't survive that. It's so painful. He went up to the Cleveland Clinic, and they ended up opening him and closing him back up, saying there's nothing they could do. Today, he has no evidence whatsoever of the tumor. A and the true minute miracle. he heard, the minute he heard, the minute he heard that, you know, of your of your plight and challenges, mm-hmm. there he mm-hmm. was, you know? Just like Wayne Dyer, you know? I mean, the minute he heard, there he was. And it's like, mm-hmm. you know, you've had these, these support guides and, and you're, you know, getting back to your wife with the belief in angels and her experience and, and you know, experiences, I should say, with the angelic realm and constant faith. And, you know, I, this book, listeners, everybody needs to buy this. <laughs> you know, well, nothing, you know, it's just you know, it's just so filled with it, these heart-opening, you know, you're, you're a beautiful writer. Well, thank you, thank you. And, and I can tell you this, I don't know where that stuff came from. It just, it flowed. I mean, when, you know, I just would get into the zone and I would start seeing things in a totally different, looking at a tree and the bark. And, it you know, it just it just flowed through me. So it didn't come from me, I can tell you that. Um, but the, the book is not just about a kid who's had a spinal cord injury. It, it, no. it relates, I think, universally to anybody who is experiencing loss, whether it's the loss of a loved one, the loss of a spouse, the loss of your job, the loss of your portfolio or a relationship. You know, it, it's, it, you know all those losses are, are filled usually with fear. And, and, and the key, I think, is finding the beauty in the midst of the belly of the beast. And, and that's the one thing that, that I learned. I was in bed one morning. Um, when we were out in Colorado and the sun started, you know, was streaming into the room and I opened my eyes and I saw this. It was almost like there was a prism or something in the glass because there were all these different colors bouncing all over the walls. And and I remember thinking, oh, thank you, God. This is such a beautiful day. Thank you. Thank you. Thank. And then all of a sudden it hit me where I was and I went right back into the quagmire. And, and I felt so guilty that here I was enjoying something. I was enjoying the beauty of that moment, that morning, when my son couldn't. 
And I, I just felt so guilty. And then suddenly I realized it's okay to enjoy the beauty. In fact, we should enjoy the beauty because it's it's right there, lying right there alongside the the ugliness. And and you know, as as Lao Tzu describes in the, the second verse of the Tao Te Ching, you know, there's no duality in life. You can't know darkness without knowing light. You can't know good without bad. They're they're really one and the same. They're just different ends of the con- continuum. And it's important that we experience suffering in order to know what peace is, is like. So I remember important. when I first heard that with Buddhism, I was like, what do you mean we have to suffer? I don't, I don't, you know, and, and, but, but it's the surrender. It's this surrender, the bittersweet, you know, mm-hmm. the yin yang, mm-hmm. the dark, the light, you know, and, you know, you've continued your work. I, I, you know, I do not want to not mention the rest of of your work. Here you are. You're a father of these three children. You've gone through prostate cancer. You know, you you've had this, you know, tragedy blessing with your son Tyler. And in the middle of all this, you know, look what you continue to advocate. You know, so, so listeners, you know, after the tragic death of Josh Miller, Dr. Terry Gordon was. You know, I, I, you were just touched by it, and you're like, what the heck? You know, and you single-handedly have raised, well, I wouldn't say single-handedly, but you know what I mean. Your intention, as Wayne Dyer would say, mm-hmm. your intention and through God's direction, you um, have helped the state of Ohio in 2005 raise over $2.5 million. You saved, you know, for, for these um, defibrillators to be, you know, in every junior high and high school, you know, you've you've then you can convince the state legislature to allocate an additional $2.5 million to complete the task of placing over 4,500 devices in Ohio schools. You know, you've helped over 15,000 people receive training in, in, you know, how to use these devices and CPR, et cetera. So you've raised, you know, raised all of this awareness. And you've saved, I mean, is it, is it like 15 kids already? That It's at least 15. Yeah. But, just, but you know, yeah. Cindy, it's not, it's not very often that God puts something in front of you and says, go with it. And that's what happened when Josh first passed away. He passed away in the year 2000, so I've been on this mission for 12 years now. Wow. Um, and I saw the video of his death, and it was the most sickening thing I've ever seen. In that normally boisterous stadium, you could hear a pin drop, except right. for the wail of his mother. And it's a sound that continues to reverberate in my soul. And And that's when we came up with the idea in our county put them in the junior and high schools. And then after we did that, we thought, well, let's not stop there. How about Ohio? And and it was kind of an interesting story because I, I went to D.C. to help lobby with uh, another father who had lost his, his son to cardiac arrest. And it became very clear very quickly that, uh, that on a national level this wasn't going to happen. And it was on the plane trip back home that I, I was meditating and praying to God, you know, I've got all this energy. Show me the way. And he... This man, his his vision came into my consciousness. That's who I was to approach. And I called him the next morning and asked if I could come talk to him. And he said, okay. And I went over there and I started telling him the stories of all these kids who had died. And about halfway through, he gently closed the booklet on my hand that had all the pictures of these kids. And he said, you know, Terry, you don't need to convince me. Cut to the chase. What do you need? Wow. Took a deep breath. I said, I need $5 million. And he said, Okay. Here's how we're going to do it. And it unfolded exactly the way I saw it in my vision on the airplane coming home. The day that we completed that initiative, my U.S. Congresswoman, Betty Sutton, 
called me and said, you know, Terry, do you think we could do this on a national level? And I said, no, ma'am, I don't think we can. And I remember her sighing and saying, oh, why not? I said, because I know we can. And this was before Wayne's book, The Power of Intention, came out. But that's what I was practicing. I already saw this and see this program as being, as already being there. And, you know, it was first proposed in 2008 and passed the U.S. House of Representatives unanimously, but didn't make it through the Senate. It was reproposed again in 2009 and, again, didn't make it through the Senate. So it's been reproposed for a third time. The travesty is this, that since the bill first passed, the Josh Miller Hearts Act, first passed the U.S. House of Representatives in June of 2008, 206 children have died of a cardiac arrest in their schools. It's nauseating. It's tragic. The worst, part, the worst part of this is if you walk through the halls of Congress, you walk through the offices of the senators and House of Representatives, guess what they have hanging on their walls? AEDs everywhere. So the bill will pass. I already right. see it as, as being, and um, we're And if Spirit Seeker can help in any way, I mean, you know, I, I mean, all three of my kids are athletes. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, you know, the heart is, you know, we know, you know, things happen, and you can shock it back in. You know, there's arrhythmias. There's just so many things that happen with our athletes. And well, Every six days a child dies of a cardiac arrest. Every six days. So it's, yeah. it's something. But your you, work, you know, you know, your work is is multi-reaching. And, you know, I know that you're retired now, but here you are. Your work is continuing. And, you know, I, I love how on, your, how on your website it says that, you know, Terry's purposeful life is to continue serving by sharing with others his insight to what we all desire. Peace, shalom, salam. That's right. It's what we all need. In the middle of the storm, you know. It's That's like right. you can't avoid them. They're part of, you know, I mean, I live in the Midwest. We're used to these floods. We're used to tornadoes. We're used to, like, you know, these bizarre things that happen. And, you know, and you look at New Orleans almost being wiped off the map. And, you know, you look at all these tragedies. You know, these things happen. Mother Nature has a force of her own, and there's always a reason. You know, there's not necessarily a reason. You can't you go crazy if you try and figure out the reason. But the point is, is that it's here. What are you going to do with it? Mm-hmm. What are you going to do? You either resist it or you accept it. You know, was it Ernest Hemingway that said, life breaks us all, but some of us are stronger in the broken places? I think those oh. of us who who find that peace, who can find that meaning in it and, it and and it doesn't come right away you know it takes patience it takes time to to fully understand what has happened and perhaps why you know the, there are instances certainly where you'll never know why but if you know that it's in perfect order then there is a lesson in there hidden somewhere and you know there's no such thing as a tragedy the tragedy is only a calamity if you decide to make it so and right and the tragic thing is not learning from an experience. That's that's the tragedy. Well, and as you share the wise words of Rabbi David Horowitz, mm-hmm. who imparted you know this wisdom to you, each of us travels through life on our own unique path. Perhaps we have a particular goal or destination in mind. But what we find is that often the trip itself teaches us more than we might have ever expected. The journey becomes more important than reaching the ultimate destination. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. It is. You know, one of the things that I've tried to explain and describe, and often I don't do it very well, 
is that what happens to us is not important. In other words, I'll give you an example. My father died of prostate cancer. My children never knew him. And they didn't know he died of prostate cancer. They just knew he at some point had died. So prostate cancer to them is totally irrelevant. Now to him, it was very important, not because it was prostate cancer, but because of what he did with it. So what we get, and we're all going to get something, what we get I don't believe is important. It's what we do with it that is important. I studied with a Qigong. Well, she was Dr. Effie Chow. She was just named the International Qigong uh, Master Teacher of the International. Um, she got the International Award, mm-hmm. and I had the privilege and honor of studying with her. I was just barely out of the wheelchair. It was in April of this year, and you know, I've studied Qigong, but you know, I thought, you know what? I felt so drawn to her, and I took her class. And there was a lady there from Chicago who basically. Her um, was told there's nothing that could be done. That you know she had ovarian cancer. She was a playwright and just an amazing playwright. And um, she was living with her sister and brother-in-law because she had to give up her apartment and everything. I mean, you know, stage four cancer, nothing. And her sister and brother-in-law said, you know what? There's this there's this Qigong lady coming in the middle of Missouri in this little tiny t- college town, um, Columbia, Missouri, and. The, you know, how she happened to get there is that someone took a class in some larger city. She's from San Francisco, and they, they said, I wish you'd come, you know, to Missouri and teach this. And she says, oh, I've never been to Missouri. So here she is. You know, she's she's teaching this class in the middle of cornfields. Farmers and everything came to her introductory, lect- introductory lecture. And what she said to all of us, two things. One thing she said, if you have cancer, make it your friend. Mm-hmm. Whatever happens in your life. Make it your friend. It's there for a reason. Don't resist it. Just make it your friend and get to know it very well and learn everything that you can from it and love whatever it is that's happened to help you learn from this experience. And then she took this Sharon person who had the stage 4 cancer and put her in the circle of all of us. And, you know, I've sent she, I've sent energy, I've done energy healing for almost, you know, 25, 30 years now, you know, in one form or another. And But she had all of us, eyes open, send love and energy and chi to this woman. And she had her eyes open and received this love and energy from all of us. And it was life-changing for every single person in that room. And afterwards, this playwright who has this voice that is just, you know, so strong, she said, you have all changed my life. When I read this book, No Storm Lasts Forever, Transforming Suffering into Insight, I thought, you know what? You're going to help so many people through this work. I know you've helped all kinds of people as a doctor. Your patients are still grateful to you. But your four children, your wife, and all the other people who feel, I mean, I felt like I i, I felt like I, I saw inside your family. I mean, it's just, you're just so, so kind and loving to, to allow us to have the privilege of being on this journey with you through this book. It's not an accident you ran into Wayne Dyer. It's not an accident that you ran into Kenny Lyons. It's not an accident that, you know, you you have helped so many. This is part of your life purpose, Dr. Terry Gordon, and you're doing an amazing job. And I cannot thank you enough for being my guest tonight. You know, thank you for allowing, you know, your publicist that I adore, by the way, to allow us to publish, you know, your article and and arrange this interview. You know, just thank you for the work you're doing. 
I'm, you know, from my heart to yours. It's been a total pleasure. I've thoroughly enjoyed this, Cindy. So God bless you and namaste. Okay, namaste. DrTerryGordon.com. Oh, until next week. Thank you so much. And listeners, I know you're going to find your way. Either you were here live or you'll find your way. Forward the link. Let other people be inspired by the wisdom that was offered on the show tonight. Thank you so much. Okay. <laughs> Good night. <laughs>